This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is where non-technical professionals tune in to stay ahead of the AI curve. If you're not one who writes code, but you do want to help build an AI strategy and spot high ROI AI opportunities, you certainly tuned into the right place. Today, we are focusing on the success factors of an AI application in the financial services space. Many of you who were tuned in earlier this year will remember we had a special Monday series called AI Success Factors, where we literally interviewed founders and enterprise leaders who were involved in up close and personal with specific AI projects. And we asked them, what was the project? How did you measure success? What were the results? And importantly, what's the transferable lesson that can be extended to other business leaders? In this episode, we are focusing in the world of lending. Our guest this week is Jackson Hull. He is the COO of Oak North. Oak North was headlined in Forbes not all that long ago as Europe's most valuable fintech. This is a unicorn company that is also profitable. It is a rare breed, and they've certainly got a pretty cool AI use case. So in this episode, Jackson talks to us about how banks analyze the risk of their loan portfolio and how Oak North worked with a particular financial institution during the time of COVID. Many of you will recall during the time of coronavirus, the U.S. government was giving out PPP loans to businesses to keep them afloat while the economy was shut down. Already, banks struggle to be able to consistently analyze the risk of their lending portfolio. That is to say, how likely is it that the folks who have been given this money are likely to pay it back. And when PPP came around, the massive spike in demand for new loans was vastly more than most banks could handle. Jackson talks to us about the particular challenges that their client in this case faced, and also where Oak North came in to leverage artificial intelligence to help provide more clarity on the risk of that portfolio. And Jackson ends this episode with some transferable lessons about what other enterprise leaders should keep in mind when they're looking to deploy early AI projects. This was a project that obviously was brought on by a massive external demand. So when there are unique outside demands on a company, how does that affect the way that they should adopt artificial intelligence? How does that affect the way that AI champions inside of enterprises should behave Tune in to the end of this episode to get some of Jackson's perspective on exactly that. So we've got some great AI adoption advice towards the back end of this episode. I should also mention as we head in, Jackson will also be joining us on our AI in Financial Services podcast. So if you're interested in financial services, use cases and trends, and you want even more depth on specific use cases, then be sure to also subscribe to our AI in Financial Services podcast. You can simply go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, type in AI and Financial Services podcast, and you'll see the Emerge AI and Financial Services podcast there as well. It is available on all audio channels. I'll mention it again at the outro of this episode, but without further ado, let's fly in. This is Jackson Hull with Oak North, Europe's most valuable fintech unicorn here on the AI and Business podcast. So Jackson, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Today, I know we're diving in on our AI success factors series, and I'm aware of the sort of general business cases that you guys solve, but I know we have a particular one we're diving in on today. Talk to us a little bit about who the client was and what was the problem? What made it relevant for them to engage with you in the first place? Yeah, sh- sure thing. Yeah, I'll just lead off with the client we'll talk about is Customers Bank, US Bank on the East Coast of, of the USA. 
and they were they were one of many banks that we that we ended up selling a product to back in the very beginnings of the, the pandemic, the COVID nineteen okay, okay. pandemic. U.S. listeners will know well the PPP or Payment Protection Program that was announced by the by the U.S. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and that started as an opportunity, and frankly, became a duty for us <laughs> um, <laughs> as a as a technology provider to enable as many banks as we possibly could to lend as much as they possibly could within within the guidelines of that program falling back on our roots in sort of, I guess, agile software development, but also bringing AI to bear at the point of use for credit decisions. And that, that moment, I think anybody, probably any listener can remember where they were, right? When, when the pandemic was peaking, nobody really knew where we were going. And I think the most important things we did internally to deliver some value, which we'll go into, it was to galvanize our teams, right? Really, really explain the opportunity communicate really, really, really well and drive a mission that was both believable and, and, and something we could achieve. So I guess the byline to this answer is this was all about getting the team sort of organized and, and driven to the outcomes that Customers Bank really, really needed us. And of course, it was all wrapped up in you know, saving, saving small business in America. And that was an easy mission to get behind. Got it. So, okay. So, they had a need, which was, we need to service as much of this stuff as we can. We're you know, an important facet of our community, but also we can't do this too willy-nilly. We need to say yes to the right stuff yeah. and, and you know, no sometimes because you know, we, we, can't, we don't have unlimited funds here, and we also need to be responsible and compliant in terms of how we actually execute on this. So it was dealing yep. with that lending, kind of supercharged lending requirement is what sort of spurned their their interaction with you is that safe to say ppp hit and they're like oh my goodness how are we going to manage this yeah. at scale was that was that actually kind of the catalyst yes that's that, that's exactly right so if you like a lot of banks use offline processes for doing underwriting in, in a traditional sense right and you know that can take up to 40 days per credit and there was no time for that right the the ppp program was all about getting money into the hands of borrowers as quickly as possible because they needed to stay afloat yep so the first the first solution was efficiency how can i to your point, identify, analyze, you know, run compliance checks against, make sure they're eligible for loans, and risk assess. Do I, you know, how how are these borrowers actually going to perform? Is, is should I even lend to them? Even even though PPP was protected, yep. You know, banks had a, had a duty to to make sure that these of were course. good credits. Otherwise, so yep. so that's where the AI and obviously the software that we that we built for them and the other banks really, really came, came to life. Say that Jay Sid, who's the guy, he's the CEO, or was the CEO and chairman at that time. And I remember he had this very, very important quote. You know, he said, banks like ours rely on historical information that's at least a quarter old, if not more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. we took from that, right, in our, own, in our own learnings, this approach that said, we have to have a forward-looking perspective on these credits. It cannot be about what did they do last year because COVID is a brand new thing. Nobody's, nobody's lived at least in this generation, through a supply side, side shock like this. Yep. So how can we assess based on the sector, how it looks to perform, the drivers in, in a particular business? How is this business going to perform over the term of a PPP loan, 12, Got 24 it. months? Got it. So, um, so that was a really core factor of producing a solution for, for customers. And and it sounds like, you know, this was a number of years back. So this is probably earlier in the development of your core product in general. It sounds like there was a lot of bespokeness in terms of what you built for these guys that eventually turned into maybe what your product is today from the way you're describing things. Yeah, I think there was a number of bespoke things we had to do. Again, galvanizing the team and getting them focused on very PPP specific things, 
right? Having to collect certain bits of data, having to analyze tax returns, that sort of thing. We used AI and also just software development to like make that happen. But we were also fortunate in that our underpinning AI engine was mature enough, right? That it could produce a forward-looking scenario for US-based businesses across, I think at that time, something 90 or 100 subsectors. So we were able to deploy that forward-looking perspective across these new applicants really that were coming into the PPP program through customers and other and other banks in real time. And that was that was that was great. I think what it probably did is it was just really reinforced for us the power and importance of working those models through the rest of the subsectors of the economy we hadn't gotten to yet. Got it. Um, got it. Okay. And that, yeah. And that so that was that was a really, really important moment. So, so force you yeah, guys to grow at the same time. So just yep. in, in the interest of time here, focusing on this use case, talk a little bit about what you did with these folks and sort of what the the win for them was. We're going to talk about the big takeaway for other enterprise AI projects, which I'm very much looking forward to. But let's get down to, yeah, what, what did you do for these guys? I mean, you've, you've already teed up a good deal of sort of what you had to build and construct for them specifically and what their use case was. Yep. How was success measured in, in a way that this was, you know, obviously a, a use case you guys are proud of? Why is that? So what, what was the, the end result here? from this particular project that made it one of the, the flagship ones that you guys are proud of? Yeah. So, so back, back to back to getting the team organized and galvanized around a mission, communicating well, we were able to spec and build this solution in 10 days flat. So we were able to bring it to bear for customers bank, fully tested, you know, security obviously being a key, a key consideration. And because of that, customers bank was one of the first community banks to offer PPP loans. So they were almost like first out of the, out of the gate. And because of that, they were able to provide just over 100,000 loans. And they became the sixth most active PPP lender in the US. And it's important for context. Customers Bank is not, you know, a top yeah, 100. Yeah, I was going right? to say they're not, they're not even a top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say not even a top 25, never mind a top 100. So to be that yeah, active, obviously, meant they move pretty quickly. Yeah, back to the mission. That's 100,000 businesses that are supported in a very short period of time, obviously through a program supported by the government. But that's a really, really important success outcome for them. Obviously, also commercially. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, it, for those of you familiar with how, what banks were paid for PPP, that's a, that's a large sum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of revenue, right? Yep. Off yep. the backs of this program. That's probably the, the most important outcome from them. It's also worth mentioning that there was some servicing implications. They also have to be able to service all the way through forgiveness, these loans. And our application is also allowing them to do that. So there's efficiency gains internally. They haven't had to, like many Alt-Fi providers or other banks, staff up temporarily for PPP support. They've just been able to utilize their existing teams through our application to get through the volume that, that they processed. The win for them, was there anything that they were, I mean, I guess the we could call it fortunate or unfortunate, but they didn't really mm -hmm. have a metric of here's how long it takes us to say yes to a PPP loan and how many we can process before and after. It sounds like we might not have any explicit tangibles on that, but sort of the general feel here is like, hey, we were able to process way more volume and respond much more quickly and safely to the right kind of responses. Is that about as, as close as we can get in terms of how they measured the win and why they thought this was a, a great fit? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think you could you could almost answer the question and say, they had no ability to do it, hmm. right? So the time frame is infinite. <laughs> and, and most banks were, very few banks tried to do this on their own, I should have mentioned. Most banks were looking at their existing sort of infrastructure providers or their core banking providers for help or looking for new vendors to sign up and, and move with. We had the advantage, we were already, the customers was already a customer of ours, pardon, <laughs> pardon the term. Great. 
which meant, which meant we didn't have to go through any of that, you know, the, sort of the, the diligence and all of, all of that. And we were able to give them this high volume conduit for doing the loans. And I'd say that most banks were in that position. You know, lots, lots of banks just missed out entirely on, on PPP. Sad, sadly, right? Because they, they couldn't help their, their local businesses, right? Through it. Fortunately, it was a national program. So, you know, banks weren't precluded from lending, lending everywhere. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's like, you almost can't compare it because it was so fast. Totally. So quick to deploy and so quick to the volume. They hadn't even a chance to try to do it internally themselves. And I think most banks were probably in that, in that position. Yeah. It's safe to say, I mean, it's completely understandable in that particular regard. In terms of the sort of transferable lessons here, obviously they thought that this was a win. You guys thought this was a win and they were able to be, at least the numbers we could talk about was active in a very outsized way compared to their size within the United States in terms of their PPP lending abilities. When you think about all the factors that came together to make this deployment work between your side, between working with the client, between how the client actually used the product, there's so many factors that go into whether an an AI deployment adds value or doesn't. And clearly here, it sounds like you and the client both were of the opinion, this was a great win. Mm-hmm. What if you could boil it down to one thing? Because we've got four minutes here. What would you say <laughs> is the one transferable lesson that maybe other enterprise folks could learn from that made this project succeed? Yeah, I think this project had the advantage of the outcome was very tangible and within reach within days. <laughs> so that that allowed us then to focus ruthlessly between us and them. So as a joint up group on driving that outcome. So I think the lesson then, or the most important thing, was spending enough time up front to have clarity of what the outcome we were all trying to drive was, you know, as expressed through the experience their lenders would have in this, in this application and the experience their teams would have in this application as well. The most important thing in a, in a project like this, where you have short-term deliverable, a strong mission and, and a customer in play, right? It's really, really focused and ruthlessly prioritize the outcome that everybody knows will unlock, you know, in this case, tens and thousands of loans being, being lent, you know, through the bank. That was probably the standout thing that made, made all the difference. We, we didn't wind our way to it. We didn't get distracted and go off piste. We didn't have misalignment between the customer teams and our teams, right? It was all very, very much sort of tight knit everybody about the mission as well, which like I said, was maybe a once in a generation <laughs> yeah, opportunity. Yeah, 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 it was such yeah, a great yeah. mission, but, so we, but I think we that's the thing that made the difference. Okay, got it. So I'm thinking about how to transfer that. So you're right to say, obviously the circumstances were very rare, but you were able to use them to channel towards focus. If there was a way that maybe you could hope future clients could be as focused, I guess, in terms of what they wanted to do or where their project yeah. is, is the, is the secret sauce here around having enough of a kind of team collaboration call to be able to crisply define success and then make sure that every other meeting and everything we do for building is is moving in that direction? Is there, what, what is the takeaway that maybe, you know, looking yeah. at one year, two years in the future, many of our listeners are going to be rolling out their own AI projects. What could they do to get some of that focus juice, you know, that you guys had here? What are some uh, of the things that they could do to promote that? Yeah. So I guess I'll rephrase what I said. It's it's take the time and build the capability to really understand your customer's problem, <laughs> problems, right? So as a general statement, you should do that as a agile software and machine learning or AI development business, of course, but don't skip over it. Everybody, myself included, loves to build the solution we think is cool and we think will work, but that's not right. <laughs> the outcome needs to be driven by an agreed outcome that your customer is confident will solve their problem. 
right? That general message applies across all projects, but very specifically here with short timeframes yeah. and an opportunity window that's closing, really need to double down on that. And it's hard. It's easy to skip it and very, very hard to really stay focused and force yourself to do it. It helps, you know, if you, we, we have great product leaders here. We also have user researchers, which are, which were, are and were helpful in this project. So building those capabilities internally, um, you know, you don't need to go up higher thousands of people, but having people internally who can do, you know, client discovery, customer discovery, and really, really focus on what is the outcome your customer needs, you work back from that. And, and that, that makes all the difference. And do you know what that outcome is when, you know, I could think of check this box when you know the customer's damn problem. Like, okay, that sounds like a very logical <laughs> thing. Every company no. that's ever built anything. But it seems like when do we know that, that that happens? Is it when the big boss that we're talking to says, this is my darn problem. This is what, what I want you to work on. Is it when we're in the same room as the big boss and the subject matter experts and the big boss's IT team and they all give you the same answer? What is the threshold yeah, yeah. we need to cross for you to say, hey, we've got alignment. You know, like, like how, how did you yeah. draw that line and feel confident about it as kind of a closing yeah, point here? Yeah, it's never that easy, right? So as a tick box or yes, we're done, not in the style of software that we develop, right? So really it's all of that wrapped up into, are we confident, right? Can we deliver, not all of, because you never, you, you rarely get the, the full value first shot. Can we be assured that what we're going to deliver first pass, right, is solving maximally for the time and effort required to get there, the problem that we understand them to have, right? there's a bit of secret sauce there about how you build product, right? And you're constantly reassessing it. And what you thought on day zero, by, you, by the time you got to day 10, if you're making sure you're listening and driving hard on this discovery process is going to be different. And that's, that's good. That's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause it's yeah, all yeah. about, it's all about solving the problem, delivering the value. It's not about, did I build what I said I was going to build 10 days ago? Right. So that process is typically hallmarked by having, this forward-facing, outcome-based focus up front, and then working your way back. But it's never 100%. And you, yeah. shouldn't, you shouldn't take time to get it to 100%. You, but you got to do enough to make sure you're not taking a right turn at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that so. totally makes sense. And I, I actually think a big takeaway here, you've talked about it a couple times, is a discovery process. The question for anybody who's listening in right now, do you have a process that is forward-looking and allows you to discover it? Yes, the steps are going to be messy sometimes, but is there a way to have an accurate description of, of our project definition that we can run consistently? It feels like that's a very important takeaway. And Jackson, I'm, I'm mindful of where we are on time for these short yeah. episodes, but this has been a great insight in terms of closing out our episode, and I appreciate you being here with us. Thank you very much. So that is all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and being able to be here with us. It was a pleasure for me to be able to catch up with Jackson. Again, anytime I get to talk to C-level executives of very fast-growing unicorn companies, that is something I'm going to want to do a lot of. And so I was fortunate to be able to get some good depth in here with Jackson. As I mentioned before, he will also be on our AI and Financial Services podcast. So if you are interested in even more depth around specifically how is AI impacting financial services and what is its impact going to look like in five years and specific workflows, customer experience, marketing, compliance, lending, and more, then be sure to tune in to the AI and Financial Services podcast. You can literally go to any podcast channel, type in AI in Financial Services, you'll find the Emerge AI and Financial Services podcast, 
Again, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to audio media. So if you like this episode, hopefully you'll join us on our FinServe show as well. I know we have many listeners that tune into both, and that means a lot to us. We're here to create material that's going to help non-technical professionals find the fit for AI and inform powerful AI strategies. And in the FinServe show, we focus on the financial services world, so banking, insurance, wealth management. So hopefully we'll have you as a listener there as well. Either way, I certainly appreciate you being a listener here for this episode. I'm glad to have you with us. Until next time, I'll catch you right here on the AI and Business Podcast.